You ready to break out of your box? Well, I just want to share this simple message with you this morning, and I pray that it will bless you and encourage you, and, and it will cause you to think outside the box and get out of the box. You see, we're products of our environment. We often respond to God out of the religious tradition or expressions that we've grown up with or we have learned since we came to Christ. Each of us has a different journey and even a different testimony. Perhaps you were raised in a different denomination or tradition before coming to a Pentecostal church. Maybe when you came to a Pentecostal church, you kind of looked around and thought, what in the world is going on? What's happening with all these people? And we don't believe for one moment that we're the only church in town or we're the only church going to heaven. If, if the Pentecostal Holiness Church is the only church going to heaven, it's going to be a lonely place in heaven. Can you say amen? We're not the only ones. God has a big family. He has a big body of believers. He's not so impressed with the name that's on front of the door. He simply looks for hungry hearts and willing souls and people who will submit themselves to him. And my prayer is, is that we'll have revival that will reach across denominational lines and touch every church in this city and every church that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ will experience that revival. And if we have a true move of God in this city, it will affect more than just Pentecostal churches. It will affect all churches and all churches will be touched by the Lord. Amen? So oftentimes we fail to realize all that God is and longs to do in our lives because maybe of our background or because of, of where we've come from or because of our tradition. We expect God to move in certain ways and we limit God by what we've seen him do in the past and by our own religious expectations. In classical Pentecostal churches, we miss one of the greatest moves of God's spirit when the charismatic move took place. Because it didn't look like we thought it ought to look and the people involved responded to God differently than we had in the past. The charismatic movement was started by an, an Episcopal priest. But God moved among them and it started a revival. The Jesus movement, hippies, different ones, they got touched by the Spirit of God. See, God's a big God. He can touch anybody. Hallelujah. He can just reach out to anybody. People we would give up on and, and turn away from, the Lord don't turn away. So this morning I've come... With a very simple message, simply say it's time to break out of the box. I read this quote this week from James Gall. He's a strong prophetic voice in our nation. He says, God has a word for us. No more boxes. God does not live in a box. He did it one time, but ever since he broke out of the Ark of the Covenant, he's never lived in a box again. Of course, you and I tend to live in boxes that are often fairly nice, although cramped. They're neat, but stuffy, old, and stale. If God no longer lives in a box, then let's follow suit and let's live outside of the box too. He wants to lift the lid over our head so that we can experience his voice in an ongoing basis. Let's breathe in God's refreshing word and renew our hearts and souls so we will walk in a new level of his divine creativity. I've simply come to say to you, it is time to break out of the box of confinement. In Luke 19:41, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. We don't often picture Jesus weeping. Why did he weep? Well, let's look at Luke 19 verses 42 through 44. If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. 
Why did Jesus weep? Because they did not know the time of their visitation. The same story is recorded in Matthew 23, verses 37 through 38. And it's Jesus standing at the Mount of Olives. And here's what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. See, we box God up and we put him in neat little religious boxes. The most religious city in the world missed the one that they had looked for for generations. The earliest promise of the Messiah is found in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. They missed their day of visitation. We must be careful today that we don't limit the Holy One of Israel. We must never put God into a box. We must not box Him in. And if we're not careful, we'll miss our day of visitation because He will come differently than He has come in the past. You see, He may have come one way in my time and in the revival that swept me into the kingdom of God. He may come another way. It may not look the same as it looked in the past. But what we have to do is not look with our natural eyes, but begin to look with the eyes of our heart to see how God will move and how God will work. They miss their time. They miss their moment. You see, God is creative. He's powerful. Listen to Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. I had a dear brother one time I pastored, and he told me sincerely, with it, he said, God's not doing anything new today. The songs we sing today are not relevant. We've got to sing the songs of yesterday. I said, well, when the revival took place and those songs were written, folks fought those songs and thought those songs were of the devil. Boy, I'm preaching good and can't get no help in here. And he said, God's not doing anything new. I said, well, brother, I appreciate you and love you, but I beg to differ with you. If you'll read through the scriptures, you'll find out. He says, behold, I do a new thing when now it shall spring forth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Read through. We have a new covenant. It's a better covenant built on better promises. Come on. We had an old covenant and a new covenant. There's a new way. There's a new day. God's coming in, the, in power and might. And he's going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. He said that we're to sing a new song unto him. The Bible's filled with new things. How many of you like new things? Say amen. See, God relates to every generation differently than the previous generation. He relates to different cultures differently than he relates to our culture. Revival today may look different than it did a generation ago. And what we must do is break out of our tidy religious boxes and allow God to move in both our personal and our corporate lives. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold, anytime you see that word behold, God is saying, take note of this. Let me have your attention. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is addressing the church of Laodicea. He's standing outside the church. He's knocking at the door. He's trying to get into the church. Do you realize it is possible to have church without the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible said that Samson, when the spirit of God left him, he didn't even know it. 
He had become so compromised and so backslid and gotten so far away from God that the dove flew, the Spirit of God left him, and he didn't even recognize that the Spirit of God is gone. If we're not careful, we can have our rituals and our traditions, and we can go through the motions, and we can have church, and God nowhere be close to it or in it. But I've come to tell you, I don't want to have church without the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encounter the thrice holy God of Israel. I want to know he's here. I want to feel his presence. I want to feel him and know that he's He's with us. And here he is standing on the outside of the door trying to get into the church. Peter Wagner in his book, The Healthy Church, describes a church disease he calls St. John's Syndrome. The name is derived from the human author of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John. And in the first three chapters of Revelation, he writes letters to seven different churches. The first is written to Ephesus, and it was a church that was afflicted with this disease because it had lost its first love. The last letter that is written is to a church in Laodicea. Listen to what he says to them in Revelation 3, 15 through 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Or as that version says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What are the symptoms of this St. John's disease? Number one, the fellowship in many churches is no longer vibrant and outward focused. We're focused on ourselves. We're focused inward. And we aren't focused on the mission. Now, thank you for giving uh, right at $1,500 last Sunday to the new church plant that we're planting right here on our campus, our Spanish-speaking church, the God of Israel Church. So thank you for that. Secondly, the church is a mere organization. It's lost its passion for reaching the lost, number three. We're more excited about bylaws than winning souls for Christ. We're more concerned about our pew, our classroom, or how $50 was spent than the realization that over half of our community is hell-bound without the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Laodicea didn't have any money problem. They had their polished programs. They looked like everything was fine on the outside, but they had one great problem. Jesus was outside the door of the church knocking, trying to get in. They missed their day of visitation. They had church without the Lord of the church. They had rituals and tradition, but they had no power to change lives. Last week, we talked about, in my sermon, the Great Commission. That is the purpose of the church. Let me give you part of that, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How many of you know we're called to know him? And to make him known. God visits us to stir up the gift. Revival is designed by God to shake us out of our comfort zones. To change us. To empower us to break out of the box. To remove those things that constrain us. One of the great hymns of the faith we sing makes this declaration. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. It's time for us to surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Not part, not half, not 25%, not 95%, 100%. Give ourselves totally and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. I surrender all. Make that your prayer today. And may we just be more than mere words of a song that we sing, but may it be a declaration of our heart. May it be a prayer of faith that says, Lord, I don't know how to surrender, but I surrender. I don't know how to give my all, but I give my all in the name of the Lord. It's time to break out of the box. It's time to take the limits off the Holy One of Israel. How do we do these things? Well, there are two things, and let me share them with you this morning. Number one, we exchange 
our comfort. There has to be an exchange that takes place. My mother, we always, I have taken her into the mall, Beth and I. And she'd say, oh, I really like that sweater right there. I'd like to have that. And I would get her distracted. Beth would buy the sweater. We would wrap the sweater up, put it under the Christmas tree. She picked it out. She would open it up and she'd take it and exchange it. I don't care what you get her, she's going to exchange it. I remember growing up in the store, we used to have this one customer. I knew when she'd come in, she'd buy a buggy load of stuff, and I knew half of it was coming back. I thought, why do you go through all that ritual? Just don't even bother, amen. We exchange. We get to make a divine exchange this morning. We need to exchange our comfort for change. Everybody say change. See, y'all didn't say that with a lot of conviction. One scholar defines living in a comfort zone by a new word, comfortitis. We've been infected with comfortitis. We preach a gospel very different from the New Testament. It's a cultural interpretation of the gospel. It's an Americanized version of the gospel. We treat the church like a hotel or a resort. And have we become so carnal that we're more interested in pleasing people than we are pleasing God? We design every program and every service to make people comfortable. What's happened to the message about dying to self, self-denial, sacrifice, and commitment? That's in the New Testament, by the way. We developed a consumer mentality. What do you offer for me? What's in it for me? We want songs that soothe, sermons that sizzle, and services that are sensational. But they must be designed so they don't require a lot of commitment today. The church as we know it today has lost its passion for Christ and for the things of God. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus. I talked about it earlier in Revelation 2 verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Can you imagine Jesus visiting our church and he'll commend the things that are good and then he would stop and he would say, this I have against you? Man, I don't want anything between me and the Lord. I want things to be clear. I want things to be clean. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. But here's what he says. You've lost your passionate love for me. That's what he's saying. You've lost your first love. That passionate love. You've lost that. He then tells them to repent. He tells them to return. He tells them to do their first works over again. Here's my prayer today. Father, shake us out of our complacency. Break our hearts for those who are lost and dying. Burden us for our family and our city. May we weep between the porch and the altar. There's a price to pay for revival. We talk about it. We preach about it. But there's a price to pay for it. God encounters us with his presence so that we'll become more like him and we'll develop his heart. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now most of us are creatures of habit. We resist change because it requires something from us. It's easier to remain where we are if it doesn't require commitment or a price. Some years ago, I wrote a little poem. Let me share it with you. The, the title of it is, Don't Require Anything of Me. Don't require anything of me. I want the power and blessings, but they must be free. Don't require anything of me. Bless me, bless me, thrill me, Lord. I just want to be loved and adored. Don't require anything of me. Just leave me as I am right now. If you require change, I'll just have a cow. Don't require anything of me. Don't ask me to pray. If you do, I won't stay. Don't require anything of me. I really would rather someone else speak to the lost because I really don't want to pay the cost. 
don't require anything of me. Please don't ask me to commit because I'm just too comfortable where I sit. Don't require anything of me. I just want a feel-good feeling. Just don't ask me to spend any time kneeling. Don't require anything of me. Give me, give me, give me, but please don't require me to worship at the cross that was made from a tree. Don't require anything of me. See, all of us live in comfort zones. We like what is familiar and we bristle when we're required to change. Most of us eat at the same restaurants. We eat the same menu items and we really don't want to try anything new or different. We're creatures of habit. We drive the same way to work every day. We, we do the same things. We're comfortable. Creatures of habit. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Listen, I go to the Amish oven every Thursday. They have turkey and dress. I know their menu by heart. And I see the same people there every time I go. We're creatures of habit. I think we've become too familiar with holy things in the church. Have we become too familiar with God's presence? Have we taken the supernatural power and anointed for God uh, for granted? I believe God is doing a new thing. He specializes in new things. I talked about it earlier. If you don't believe me, then just read the pages of the New Testament. He creates new things, and we're in store for a new heaven and a new earth. Some folks are going to save the earth with solar power and giving you pop cans, uh, your soda cans, put, turning in them to bilo. You're going to save the earth. No, the Bible said the earth will melt away with the fervent heat, and God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. I'm not telling you don't recycle. I'm just saying we're not going to save the earth. The earth is our destiny is already set and God's in control of it. Every time a man and a woman is born again by the spirit of God, they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I've come to simply announce to you, this is a new day for the body of Christ. And we must have a fresh new outpouring of God's spirit. Why? To shake us out of our comfort zone, to shake us out of our place of complacency. God desires this morning to empower us to reap the harvest of these last days. So we exchange our comfort and we embrace the changes that God wants to bring in our life. Number two, we exchange dignity for deity. Dignity for deity. One danger we face is the danger of respectability. And please don't misunderstand me. I want to be respected. We want to be respected in our community. But we must not allow respectability to trap us. I remember hearing a story told of a pastor one time that he was going to have a very high official from the city come into that church. And, and, and he knew that most of his church would behave, but he had this one old saint. When they would sing and minister, she would just shout and worship and just glorify God. And he thought, I just hope she won't be there that day. And she won't embarrass me in front of this high city official. Well, let me tell you what happened. This high city official, he was a mayor or something in that order. He came to church that morning and there come that dear saint down the aisle. And the pastor just kind of shook his head. When the choir sang, she shouted. Not only did she shout, she was sitting right around him. She shouted all around him. She gave praise to God. She ministered and he just bristled inside thinking, oh, I don't know what he's going to think about us. But you know what happened at the end of the service? He said, man, I was so blessed by that woman's worship. I was so touched by the way she just gave praise to God and honor to God. Listen, it wouldn't matter if the president of the United States came this morning, if one of our congressmen or one of our senators, we ought to give praise and glory to God because we are called to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. The trap of respectability. What do I mean by that? If we're not careful, we'll seek to please man at the expense of pleasing God. We must be more concerned about our reputation in heaven than we are our reputation on earth. I remember uh, one time a, a gentleman that came to my church, he, he came to me and he said, Pastor, I, I have a cousin that has passed away and he really didn't have a pastor and they want to have a funeral service for him, a memorial service. Would you do the service? 
He said, I'll, I'll do the singing and you, you do the service. I said, well, I'll do it for you. I didn't know him, but I know you and I love your family and I'll be honored to do it. He said, well, his daughter's going to come by and she'll sit down with you and talk to you. So about two days later, the daughter made an appointment, came to the office, sat down in the conference room there with me and she began to talk to me and she said, you know, my boyfriend came to this church. I said, well, great. I'm glad that he came to this church. She said, well, he was, he was a little offended. I said, well, I'm sorry. I thought maybe somebody said something to him. I said, no, said, uh, I know it wasn't you because he said it was a much older man preached. She said, but he, what he was offended about is that individual kept pressing at the end of that service to get people to surrender their lives to the Lord is what she was saying in so many words and to make some kind of expression of faith. I said, honey, that wasn't somebody older. I said, that was me. And I said, I, I'm sorry that he was offended, but he's not offended at me. He's offended at the Spirit of God. God was dealing with his heart, and he didn't know how to process that, so that's what pricked his heart. And I said, I want to just tell you, we don't apologize trying to get people into heaven and keep people out of hell. And it opened the door, and I witnessed to her right there. So listen. I'm going to give altar calls. We're going to obey God in this church. We're going to let the Holy Ghost have free range in this church. If there's a message in tongues, an interpretation, a prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit, we're going to give vent to that. We're not going to take the Holy Ghost and put him in the back room and confine him to the back room. No, we're opening up the box this morning, and we're going to let God out of the box. This is his church. He can do as he desires. He can do as he's pleased. He's got free course. He's got editorial rights. I just ask him, Lord, upset my plans, upset my my agenda have your will have your way this is your house and we need your touch more than we need the words of man or some polished sermon what we need today is an old-fashioned outpouring of the Holy Ghost to sweep across us as the people of God it's time to break out pursue his presence really get hungry for God it don't really matter what others think or say now listen every time I get on a long flight overseas I always look around to see is there a baby on that flight and usually about the time you get to sleep that baby will cry and listen you know what happens that baby gets hungry and it don't matter where that baby is it don't matter who's on that plane or what time it is when that baby gets hungry that baby makes a noise and that baby's gonna make a noise until they feed it it don't matter when you get hungry you'll only be satisfied with his presence what would happen if we sought God with our whole hearts as a body of believers? What would happen today if we, the people of God, would get so desperate and so hungry for his presence? Blessed are they, Matthew 5, 6 says, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Most people believe we need revival. Most will look at what's happening in our society today and say we need God's intervention. Most will agree that the church needs a refreshing move of God's spirit. Most of us have been attacked by an unseen enemy. Our children are under attack. We need God's intervention today. Our problem is, is we often want a non-threatening revival. It's like when they call you to pray in some of these public events and say, please don't pray in the name of Jesus. And so that we won't offend anybody, let's just pray to some unknown deity somewhere. Lord, help us in our society. My prayer today is simply this. Give us a move of your spirit. It'll completely get out of control. It's time to break out of the box. You cannot control a river. There are times when the river will overflow its banks and cut a new path and there's nothing man can do to stop it. Jesus Christ lost his dignity for our salvation. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be called the righteousness of God in him. Have we lost our hunger for him? Have we lost our passion for the things of God? I don't know about you, 
but I don't want to live beneath my covenant privileges. I'm hungry for him. So here's my thoughts. No more church as usual. How about church unusual? May the Spirit of God change our plans, change our ideas, change our direction, change whatever he desires because we belong to him. The world's had enough of normal church. And listen, I'm just going to preach it straight. Is that all right? We, we've tried every fad. We've tried every new church growth technique, every marketing strategy out there. Every few years they take us and retrain us and here's how you reach this and do this. And do. We've tried all of that. But I've just come to the conclusion that what we need today is a face-to-face encounter with God. May we experience a new Acts 2 outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And after this initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, it was Peter who rose up with the 11 and he preached to a crowd of people who were hostile to his message. Now listen, you and I wouldn't have picked Peter to preach because just a few days prior to that, Peter was cussing. He was denying the Lord. But you remember there on the Sea of Galilee where Peter was restored and the Lord said feed my sheep and it was Peter who rose up glory I like Peter because he's bold he didn't always say the right thing but he had a boldness about him but when that boldness got sanctified when that boldness got filled with the Holy Spirit he rose up with the 11 and you know what happened 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus that day hallelujah time to break out of the box it's time to seek the Lord with our whole heart Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God will pass over a multitude of churches to find a group of believers who welcome his presence and learn to host the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me?